Hello, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Ollie Hammett. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today, we hear from Alan Griffiths, founder of UK independent World Media Rights, and Ralf Ruckauer, vice president of unscripted content at Germany's ZDF Enterprises. Both companies co-produced Netflix docudrama series, The Lost Pirate Kingdom, which premiered this year and uses dramatic techniques to make a factually based story more generally appealing. For years, historical programming has been generally associated with black and white archive footage and old men gesticulating on hills. Now, however, producers are employing dramatic production techniques such as CGI and narrative arcs to draw in a broader audience via SVOD platforms. One such series is The Lost Pirate Kingdom, made in part for Netflix by London Prodco World Media Rights. I spoke to WMR founder Alan Griffiths about how the internet is changing factual programming and how his company has been preparing for this for years. First, however, I was keen to know how he defines the new genre they've helped create. If you take The Lost Pirate Kingdom, most of it is drama, but we underpin everything in it with interviews to uh, really corroborate that what we're saying, all the facts we state are sourced from two different sources, as we would do in a documentary. Uh, but I think that this is a kind of a new genre because... Uh, one of the problems with drama has been that it takes egregious leaps in dramatic license. I, it makes things up in plain language. The demographic that we're aiming at, the 15 to 30-year-olds, don't like that because they have a big aversion to fake news. They want everything to be authentic. So, I mean, I tried this as a, it was me basically taking a risk and speculating a, a risk that Netflix underwrote to give them credit for it, uh, which was I said, well, let's make something that is 90% drama but has the interviews in it to show that none of it is fake, none of it is made up. So that's what we did. And it does seem to have scored quite a hit, that, because I do think it talks to people who are like, well, your generation, who are suspicious of media and understand the mechanics of it, and want to know that what they're seeing is both true. And also, um, another thing that I did with it, and I cannot understand why more producers don't do this, is I said, take it up market. Always assume that this audience is smarter and more curious than you are. Yeah. So if, for example, one of the issues with the pirates was there was a lot of politics in it at the time. I mean, you don't see that in the Pirates of the Caribbean, but the truth was they were uh, ruining trade in, and they even moved on to the slave trade. They started nicking slaves as well. I said, where there is a difficult problem, always explain it, illustrate it, and always assume your audience is smarter. Now, the problem with a lot of television, as you know, is that when they come to a difficult part of the argument, they just gloss over it. They skip it or, or simplify it to the point of extinction. So I said, go up market, go up market. And that's what we did. We did those two things. I said, mostly drama, but make sure it's all factually sourced and make clear it is with the interviews. And secondly, go up market. Do not be afraid uh, to tackle the difficult stuff. Uh, what we've done is because we've devised, we've created this hyper dynamic animation technique, 
which basically uses not only 4K CGI, but we back projected. And to cut a very long story short, that is a lot cheaper than green screening, where you have to create all that in post-production. Post-production is a pit, a money pit. Don't go near it. Uh, and the upshot is that we've now managed to create something that looks like quite reasonable drama, but for factual prices. So this is the real breakthrough. That's why we were able to make this series, mainly because of this software breakthrough. So the software breakthrough and the back projection technique is something, are you saying you wouldn't normally find that in drama? Uh, no, you won't normally find it in factual because factual can't afford to do drama. The, the software has enabled us to, to make something that looks like drama for factual budgets. You mentioned that behind the uh, decision to make these high-end series is targeting uh, a younger audience. Yeah. Are you looking at any particular platforms when you think about this audience? Yeah, I mean, I'd say now, because this is mainly who we make for nowadays, we're sort of specialists in supplying the, the SVODs, subscription video on demand platforms. So we know how to structure stories so that there is always a cliff edge at the end of one. And you'll keep watching when the 30 second countdown comes on your let it run. Um, and we've been doing that for some time. In fact, in all 14 years of my company, we have never not made box sets. We've never done one parters. We've never done two parters. I mean, we've never made a commission for any of the UK terrestrials, not in 14 years. I'll tell you why. It's because when I set this company up in 2007, I believed that. Uh, one day, all television would be distributed over the internet. Um, I mean, my previous experience was I, I was head of uh, BBC News Online, so I set all that up. So I, I had a half a production, half a software background, yeah? But in 2007, I decided that all, all programmes would eventually be delivered just over the internet. I mean, we're almost there now, yeah? And it occurred to me that, that had big implications for factual, the simplest being that there was going to be this market, which didn't exist then, but certainly exists now, where uh, uh, broadcasters, like, for example, Netflix, would demand series that worked in 250 countries, whereas up till then, all factual had been very culturally specific. It was uh, Andrew Marr's History of Britain, which you can't run globally because it's, I mean, to be honest, it's parochial. It's only about the UK. And no one outside the UK has ever heard of Andrew Mark. Don't tell him that, we'll get upset. So um, the uh, we we I said, I tell you what, there will be this surge of demand for programs that you can transmit in 250 countries. And there weren't any factual programs like that then. So in our early days, we started making six, ten, and even 13 parters for discovery where we practice getting you hooked so that, I mean, some of our programs, they used to set days aside and they just run the programs back to back because that's all you could do on conventional transmission at that time. But we were just really rehearsing for the day when the majority of programs would be distributed to a worldwide audience via the internet, which is what's happening now. So I've been doing it for a very long time. Yeah. We're not aiming to do something that is simply and exclusively about British culture. Sure, yeah. Like a lot of our 
colleagues are. Mm. I mean, all power to them, that's a different market, but it will increasingly become a niche market. That. What we've done for 14 years is refine and refine and refine the type of program that will work over the internet. If you like, Lost Pirate Kingdom is the latest refinement of actually moving into drama, but a type of drama that isn't made up, because we've always thought that that the, the people who are watching on their laptops want to know that that stuff is true. Yeah. But the other refinement was a technical one, so we could actually afford to do drama with a factual budget. What we do, we always make sure our stories are have a cinema structure. And the reason we do that is because if you take the 200 countries, you know, take a global audience, the one thing they all understand, the grammar of uh, television they understand is the grammar of cinema because they're all used to cinema. And cinema stories have a particular plot structure and we, 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 we adapt those. So... Normally, a cinema structure has three parts, and the at the end of the second third, um, two thirds of the way in, you're having a dark night of the soul, and the hero uh, can never recover. And then, basically, the third part is redemption. It's them recovering and prospering, and it's very biblical. We have we construct stories in that way. And now we're getting close to also filming stories so they look cinematographic using our new techniques. And do you find that um, archive-based entertainment has uh, a different audience? No. Um, what we find is that if you, it's driven by the story, if you tell the story in a certain way, so you're dealing with big themes, difficult politics, difficult conundrums. I mean, Royals in Colour is actually about the main if you were made a royal tomorrow or, well, you were born a royal you couldn't, um, you're not made one typically. If you were born a royal tomorrow your main worry throughout your existence would be how do I stay on the throne? I mean, it's no coincidence that the royal family here calls themselves the firm because that's the family business, staying on the throne. Um, so what the series is about is the manoeuvres that you go into in order to stay on the throne, simple as that. And, of course, there have been all kinds of crises during history for royals, one of which is that in the 30s, a lot of them cuddled up to the Nazis, you know. And, of course, when the war went the wrong way, from their point of view, they all lost their thrones, you see. So often the moves you make are quite uh, important in that. But... In other words, what we have is like a lot of cinema, we have this big theme, a meta theme, binding it all together at the top top level. And the meta theme of Royals in Colour is how do you stay on the throne? Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, says Shakespeare, and it's the same theme. And it, actually, it's the theme behind his, most of his history plays as well. So we have that, and then we go into all the manoeuvres and what happened to the Shah of Iran, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But again, this global audience likes those big themes. I am sure there is someone out there who likes Aberdeen, Angus, cows, and, you know, reading them and things, but it is not a meta thing. Do you see what I mean? It would not work well with the global audience. We always have to have very big themes. In my head, archive-based uh, entertainment and factual mainly has a position on on linear channels. 
Channel Five being a big buyer of sort of those. Channel Five, I think, is is kind of clever. Quite like Channel Five because it <laughs> there's a niche there and it goes for it. I mean, we don't make the Channel Five, as I said, but um, one of the problems you've got if, if you're a terrestrial is that they've had to position themselves as feeding one territory, in which, in, in the case of this country, the UK. And that means you're kind of forced into an area where you're talking about issues, etc., and culture that's specific to the UK. So you get kind of boxed in. I mean, the B, in order to retain the licence fee, has to demonstrate to MPs that in some way it's about Britain, doesn't it? You know. We've talked about some ways in which, you know, you've almost uh, sort of preempted trends in the factual world. Um, I was just wondering, how do you see it changing in the future? I mean, I think there'll be a very clear distinction between global networks like, you know, Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. In other words, people who are supplying many countries and uh, the, P- the old PSBs that will very specifically be about a territory. I think that's the main divergence at the moment. You can see it happening at the moment. Um, and I think both will require different types of programming. The only kind of, pro- well, this is one of the reasons we've created this category, factual drama, is because the only category that works in both those types of broadcaster is drama, you know. So it's quite interesting. If you try and make certain types of programmers factual, only local broadcasters will buy it. But if you make it as drama, almost any broadcaster will buy it, yeah? I mean, I'll take an extreme example. I'd love to make a film about the, the um, Dreadnought Wars ahead of World War I. But you'll never sell that in America as a factual programming, piece of factual programming, because it's about the German Empire and the British Empire, and no one in America gives a monkey, you see. But uh, were you to do it as a drama or a factual drama, it would be very interesting because it's about the world's first arms race, it's about incredible risk taking, it's about amazingly colourful clash of personalities. You'd be allowed to do it with the label drama. So I think all of those questions about selection of topic will become quite acute for people who are making conventional documentaries. I think they'll find their market limited unless they move into some form of drama. So you think even the PSPs will have to lean on? Well, if they want to sort of support, you know, things like Britbox and things, they're going to have to more dramatic and cinematographic in their outlook yeah and obviously you know with the success of lost pirate kingdom uh what plans does world media rights have to to further this trend (laughs) i've got a whole i have a a whole list of uh stuff that i have been itching for years to subject to the uh, factual drama treatment so i've just come off a call talking to an SVOD about some of those this morning, yeah. And so that that's what we're doing. That that's what we're moving to. I mean, actually, it's what we've always done. To be honest, I mean, because we've never made a one or a two parter in our lives. So there we are. You know, perhaps we're coming of age. Perhaps that's what it <laughs> is. 
Yeah, maybe. Um, do you normally go for six parters then, or longer? At least we've we've never made anything under six parters, six or ten. Yeah. And what's what's the advantage of that? Do you think it's you can hold an audience for longer? It's as simple as that. In other words, if you give them all a cliff edge and make them hooky, you see, an SVOD uh, provider wants really two things from a program. They want they want a program that people will get addicted to and talk about because that will generate more subscribers. But conversely, they also want a steady supply of those so you don't unsubscribe. So the six-parter cliffhanger link story structure is essential to them. And I suppose, you know, within each episode, it's about building, you know, that cliffhanger moment. You, well, you, you, yes, you start by establishing the world of the characters and then it's a question of giving it an internal structure so that I say two-thirds of the way in everything seems hopeless and uh, they know they're going to be pirates forever and then suddenly George I says, well, if you work for me and not for them, I'll pardon you. See, see which of you can uh, exploit that the best, yeah? yeah? And in fact, at the end of Pirates, uh, the, the person who comes out of it completely unscathed is Anne Bonny, the female pirate, oh, okay. because she simply disappears and we assume that she takes up residence in North Carolina, which is what the rumours were, and sees the independence of America. And I just thought, well, it's interesting because I've seen a lot of docu-series on Netflix, you know, very dramatic. Yeah. So I think it would be interesting to compare the two. I mean, it's a very simple question. Guess why we don't do presenter-led programmes and we do drama-style programmes? I mean, no one in the States has heard of Loosely Wills or, yeah. or too few people. Sure. It doesn't, it doesn't add anything for them. So you can't really say it would be hard to sell in the States. That's the yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what they've told me, that, you know, they, um, you know, it's not about, um, yeah, they are just focusing much more on linear sales at the moment because they have to. Yeah, well, that, that, that's a linear proposition. But you see, the problem is it's culturally specific and Lucy Worsley is very culturally specific. I mean, she's the curator of, of Hampton Court, so you can't get more culturally specific than that. <laughs> Alan Griffiths, founder of World Media Rights there. After hearing from Griffiths about the development and production process behind the new docudrama series, I spoke to Ralf Ruckauer of ZDF Enterprises. The German distributor is handling international sales for the Lost Pirate Kingdom and also has experience of selling its shows Hostages of the SS and One Day In on the international stage. Rukar had plenty to say on how to balance fact and entertainment as well as the distribution process for his shows, but first, I wanted to hear how he defined the Lost Pirate Kingdom. I would say, yes, it's a documentary or a docudrama, um, but I realized the perception on Netflix is more that it's drama. So um, people don't distinguish between a drama series uh, or a documentary. They just say, have you watched that series on Netflix? So I think to distinguish between the genres, drama or documentary is more an in industry idea uh, of us being industry professionals, but the audience just doesn't distinguish. So um, I think for us, it's a documentary. For the audience, it's a drama series. Is the entire thing based in fact or are there, you know, is there, are there sort of liberties taken? 
so that's that's very important for us. So we would never lie or uh, do any fake news or something. But once it comes up to pirates, of course, it's such a long period, a long time ago, uh, we don't have any really hard proof and, and, and so on. But sometimes it's even mentioned in, in the documentary series uh, that we don't know what it could look like yeah, or it could have been this or that way. So, um, yeah, of course, it's always important for us not to lie to our audience. Who do you think is interested in watching this kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, now the first run is on Netflix, uh, and uh, but we have the uh, the rights for distribution to sell it in, in uh, territories after the Netflix exposure. And of course, there are many, many broadcasters who might be interested in, in uh, um, buying that. And uh, of course, I mean, you said it's maybe the first one that you saw. I think there are other examples of docudrama um, series. It's very tough because uh, as we are a German um, distributor, we get approached by a lot of German uh, companies, but if they then would shoot the dialogues in German, then it's getting a little bit tricky as well as if you're going back in time. I mean, these pirates coming from the UK, I mean, of of course they speak English, but uh, you then see Egypt, for example, and people are speaking English in, in, uh, in, in ancient Egypt or Rome, and it's getting a little bit tricky, uh, but there are examples how you can do that. And we have other shows. For example, a couple of years, we had Hostages of the uh, SS, which is uh, same like uh, Lost Pirate Kingdom. Looks like a drama series, but it's intervened with interview sequences and is a little bit documentary as well. Uh, but it's not that easy to sell that to linear traditional broadcasters. Um, it's more a typical kind of program that uh, is made for streamer and streamers and, and platforms. Uh, but interestingly enough, Hostages of the S, uh, S just got uh, some awareness in the UK on a small platform got, uh, called Get Factual um, just two weeks weekends ago. So maybe this is a genre which is coming back. Um, but again, for, for streamers, it's very it's perfect because people then have the lean back attitude. Uh, they binge watch and so on, uh, whereas for linear broadcasters, it tends to be a little bit more risky um, to, to go for such a docudrama. Why? Why is it risky for them? Yeah, you never know because, um, I mean, linear broadcasters, they have their slots. So they perceive the world in this is a drama slot, prime time. This is a documentary slot, for example, for the afternoon. So they, they separate uh, genres a little bit more. Uh, whereas streamers have the freedom to have any lengths they want uh, to just create something great, um, have the binge-watching idea, of course, uh, like Lost Pirate Kingdom is a six-parter, whereas a broadcaster would then go on board for a six-parter, then uh, have one episode um, on the slot, and then they have to fulfill the slot needs, that is, every week, and so on, and therefore it's a little bit more risky. Also, Again, the audience might mix it up with real drama and then be uh, disappointed. Whereas uh, if you select or if you choose to watch something on Netflix, you make a precise decision. You want to see that one. That's a a difference. Well, you might say, you know, I want to watch a history program, but you're also saying I want to watch something that will entertain me, you're saying. Whereas linear broadcasts will have special slots for specific things, I see Exactly. And linear broadcasters, I mean, in most cases, they have to make a specifically documentaries in a way 
that the audience can jump into the program at minute uh, uh, 12 as well as at minute 22 or minute 28. Um, whereas um, on a streaming platform, you make a decision. You sit, lean back on the couch and you would say, okay, tonight I want to watch that one. I'm interested in pirates and I, I would, I'm going to watch that from A to Z. That's the difference. Yeah. I mean, you can, if you don't like, you would uh, end up screening after 10 minutes probably. Yeah. But uh, it's just a difference between uh, streamers and, and uh, linear broadcasters. So it seemed, um, it's kind of what you were saying at the beginning about how the lines between the genres are becoming less defined. Basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you mentioned the um, the SS series. How was that? Did you say it was first broadcast in Germany or what was the timeline of that? Yeah, it was first broadcast in Germany. Uh, and um, so a couple of years ago, uh, it was quite successful here on, uh, on our channel ZDF. And, uh, but... Um, Again, it was a little bit hard to sell that series to to other linear broadcasters. Of course, it's a German topic uh, yeah, and so on. So, but just recently, it got a little bit more awareness. And uh, yeah, we all don't know. Maybe the Drucklu drama is is coming back or is getting a new niche. So we have another one which is called One Day In. Yeah, we just released a, a press release on that. Um, it's from Starry House, a production company who is based in Berlin, in Germany, and by the same time in uh, DC, in the US. Uh, we collaborate a lot of uh, a lot with them, and it has a longer story because we already have six episodes um, that has been in ZDF on the channel, uh, but they were more German-led, and we, we, we always said it's, it's too German for an international audience, but now they have really very um, international topics, uh, such as New York um, during the period of industrialization and uh, Dresden in the after-war um, period. Uh, so we felt it's uh, much more international. And uh, Storyhouse is a very good uh, production company because they also have an expertise in drama. And they have really very good characters there. So uh, some cast uh, members have been in, in other real drama series, so they have a lot of knowledge and expertise. And in that case, we jumped on board. And how is the international demand for, for that? Let's see. I mean, as we now have this really proven success of Lost Pirate Kingdom, there might be other shows that follow that trend, uh, and that could be the case. So, I mean, One Day In would be one example of that. Are there any other examples that you can think of? Not that much. And and, and again, we are, we are really a little bit reluctant or careful because in most cases documentary dramas didn't really sell as much as other more clear propositions like science programming, history programming, or, um, of course, animal and wildlife, um, where our core uh, focus is, is uh, based. Yeah. How important do you think variety is in your slate? Surely there's a demand. You've seen that there's a demand for this sort of show on streaming platforms. So do you plan to make more in the future? Um, that's a very good question, um, and uh, you have to know that uh, the, the, our department has been founded in 2013. Uh, before that, um, I was uh, head of distribution across all genres, and then we split it up in three departments. Uh, and then we had internal discussions, and we said, uh, how can we focus? Uh, what would people expect if they would come to our booths uh, at MIP, and what would they ask for? And it was pretty clear that our clients are asking us for um, history programming, 
Um, so ancient history and uh, contemporary history, like World War II and so on. So we have a really very good name and reputation for that. Um, then science programming and, and wildlife. And so therefore we built it up that strategy um, and made a really, really very clear um, proposition against our clients, which is just wildlife science history. Um, so um, therefore, this was also a reason not to make uh, or to join um, too many um, docudrama um, programming or other genres. But of course, as this uh, strategic decision has been made like some seven or eight years ago, we now sometimes try other genres as well. So um, this year, for example, we have also a 90-minute feature documentary called Circular Economy. And we also have a, a really interesting series about gender and LGBTQ plus uh, and so on, which is called Naked. And this means sometimes we're just trying to do some offers in other genres, but um, not in a way that we would massively invest into them, but just see how it works. But, but I agree, you're right. There might be a change in the shift because there are so many platforms coming up. I mean, there is Netflix, there is Amazon, there is Hulu. But now Disney Plus is around, Paramount Plus is coming, Discovery Plus is coming, um, HBO Max, and so on. And they might have a different demand, also going more into a direction of 90-minute feature talks and so on. So we have to really um, see how that evolves and be also part of that, but but not in a on a huge scale, but more in a selective scale. Okay, so you're saying that um, this pirate series has been a little bit of an experiment to see how it goes down with streamers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, in, do you think it sort of reflects a, a change in history programming, or do you think there's still room for traditional? Yeah, I would say it also, uh, it always depends on the topic. Uh, if you make a documentary or uh, about history in, in World War II, uh, you just expect to have archive footage in that. And that's the, that's the natural way to, to produce a World War II documentary. Aside from that, you can also have recreations. Whereas if you tell a story about the pirates, um, as I said before, there is no material. There are maybe some paintings, but they are not really very entertaining uh, and, and you can't really watch um, just a painting for 10 minutes or something. So you have to recreate. So therefore it depends on, on the topic very much. So, and after the, over the last two decades, most people in the audience is used to have recreations. And in most cases, they don't really question it or, or ask, is this really true? Or did that really happen that way? They understand if they see not black and white, but uh, colored footage, uh, colored sequences. That this is an actor, and that that has been produced and made um, uh, to just illustrate it a little bit better. Yeah. And one day in, is that entirely dramatized, or? Yeah, mostly. I mean, uh, yeah, I would say say eighty percent is uh, dramatized. Uh, then, of course, there are interviews in that. Yeah, with experts, of course, still. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, we, we tell the story not of the, the big history of mankind, but the little stories of everyday people, ordinary people, uh, about their daily life and their perception of it. Uh, that means, of course, we would sometimes jump back into maybe pictures of the destroyed city, or destroyed city of Dresden, for example, 
of course, we would have black and white footage, but that's maybe just 5% or something. And in that show, are you wanting to do something similar to Pirate Kingdom by sort of, you know, immersing people in it? Is that is that the aim? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, there are some similarities because in Lost uh, Pirate Kingdom, we tell the story, also the everyday story of these pirates. Uh, yeah, you, you follow there the big story, uh, but you also have little elements in it. So how how did they fight against each other about this, uh, the Spanish? How how yeah how was the daily life? Um, and this is also something that we will have in one day in. So the question is, um, how did they look like? What did they eat? Uh, where did they get the money, money from? Did they struggle with some diseases? Um, how did they teach their children? Things like that. And so I see there's some, there's some similarities. Also, it's a completely different production and a completely different producer. Yeah, I think that Lost Pirate Kingdoms, for example, that most people watch it and don't even realize that it's not a drama uh, in, in the way we would define it. We, we could find a new audience for that. Or it's just because they are pirate fans, so they like Pirates of the Caribbean, and they take anything about pirates, be it a documentary or something in the news that someone discovered something new, or, of course, the new... The, the, new, the new cinema release. Uh, they would take anything about pirates, uh, so they don't care so much about the genre, I guess. Yeah. Talking about the pirates, for example, you have to tell a little bit side stories and make it a little bit more entertaining. It's more in a way that we would say it could have looked like this, and from research, we know that it must be like that. Um, and uh, the, the longer um, the, the period is, or the, the time we are telling about uh, is, is a go like the Egyptians, for example, or even Stone Age, where we had something about um, Neanderthal, yeah? I mean, or dinosaurs, yeah? I mean, you can just rely on scientific uh, research and latest re research and um, our knowledge today, and then try to transfer that into some moving in images but it's always, of course, a guess or, or the best we know about, yeah. That was Ralph Lukauer speaking with Ollie Hammett. That's all for this episode, but there'll be more from the podcast next week. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile, and on social media. My name's Ollie Hammett. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>